For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at The emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds. Our European champions. Hey guys, welcome to Believe in Borussia episode number 22. My name is Tilo, I'm your host and I'm giving a big shout out to our loyal listener Rob Wilder. Thank you for your review on Apple. Appreciate it mate and if you want to share your thoughts, please do so. After the high of match day one, we are back down to earth. Borussia Dortmund with back-to-back -back losses this week. So it's always a good time to reflect on the big picture, count our blessings of playing in the Bundesliga, um, which is why we're going to talk about the inauguration of the Bundesliga today. And of course, we're introducing another Borussia Dortmund fan club in the US after Atlanta and Los Angeles. We're talking to Eugene in Virginia today. It's also our last week to win an autograph set of Borussia Dortmund, so fans from the continental US and Canada head to our social media accounts at Believe in Borussia on Twitter or Instagram, follow us, comment with your favorite Borussia Dortmund player under the giveaway post, you can do it on Twitter and Instagram, and we will announce one lucky winner in the first week of September. And last but not least, a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. If you're into sports betting and want futures, odds, big leagues, all kinds of sports and an opportunity to turn your knowledge into money, then visit their website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, tip off, kick off, what have you, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So let's kick things off with Saturday's match and get it behind us because the story of Saturday's game is an old one. Soccer is a game of small margins. One inch to the left and Griffo's free kick ricochets off the post. One inch to the right and Jude's header goes in and it's a tie ball game in the 11th minute. There were many close balls and apparently not enough bouncing for Borussia Dortmund. Instead of the ball ricocheting off the post, Borussia goes down with 5 minutes to play on Griffo's incredible strike and has to chase the game the rest of the way. 
And since it's much easier to destroy than to create, Borussia Dortmund struggled mightily against a very disciplined and deep-sitting Freiburg team. Now the annoying part is, there seems to be no plan B. The tactic seems to be, let's throw Ish at the wall and see what sticks. Which usually isn't that much. The one goal Borussia Dortmund scored came off the few rare occasions when someone broke down through the byline with pace and brought back a strong cross. And what do we play most of the time? Through the middle, step overs, heel kicks. How many times have I heard from players, and in particular Marco Reus or Hummels, after a match like this, we just have to play our game. What's that even supposed to mean? I'm not even sure they know it. But I think it falls way short because all I'm hearing is when we play against high defensive lines, then we can hit him with pace in our individual class moving forward. But that's not good enough. And I understand that the players love that style of game because we love it too. Nothing is more beautiful than seeing Dortmund run rampant against an opponent that opens up these kind of spaces. But there needs to be another option to dominate another style to play when this type of tactic doesn't work and when there isn't the kind of space and the high pressing that is needed for Borussia Dortmund to play to its most fun and Borussia Dortmund style. These games feel like a deja vu. Our full black lead goals and up front we can't assert ourselves and consistently create chances at a high pace without exposing our own backline. I think what sets top teams apart from Dortmund is that they can weather crap games and find enough composure in the right moments to still scratch out a result. Case in point, Bayern versus Cologne this weekend. The ability to dictate tempo in game despite limited personnel when they need it is something that Borussia Dortmund hasn't cultivated in the last 13 years since rising back to the top of the league. Seriously, since club, the only consistent successful approach to playing has been the press and hit him on the break. Favre's plan to play a more established, more possession-based attacking style failed completely because the players wouldn't perform it with the necessary urgency and precision for most of the games and the build-up looked sluggish and listless, not poised and lurking for great opportunities. Marco Rose said post-game, in certain phases there were too slow passes, too many touches, so why bring on, for example, a guy like Brandt? He is the embodiment of too slow and too many touches. He either dribbles and loses the ball, or he dribbles and defenders are backing off him to build the wall in front of him. And then he dribbles some more and tries some foolish outside the boot pass or something like that. I think what Rose was trying to do is make the game a little wider, with Brandt being further out to the side. But again, if you're not doing it with conviction and pace, from the halfway line to the byline, it's not going to do a whole lot. Okay, I'm going to stop my ranting here because as frustrated as it is sometimes to watch this, part of the truth is also that it's only the second match of the new season. Many players aren't match fit, some are new, and things like this take time. And I think the players are well aware of it. There were similar sentiments uttered by uh, Marlon, who made a starting debut, and Jude Bellingham. Overall, we're disappointed that we lost this game, of course. But uh, yeah, to play is uh, it's a nice feeling. We need to keep 
going from this one, but it is uh, extremely disappointed. You know, it's only the second game. We're still getting used to the style of play. Um, you know, a couple of new players, so you know, I think we played some good stuff at times, even though we didn't get the result. So, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean everything, but we are so disappointed, and we'll have to bounce back next week. The silver lining is Mats Hummels, Emre Can, and Rafa locked their first minutes of the season. Manen looked much better than his previous games, though he has still ways to go. And I also like that we went into high emergency mode in the 80th minute and not like under Favre in the 89th minute. Hopefully Rose has a plan A, B and C and can implement it rather quickly. At the end of the day, there's a reason why Borussia Dortmund's league record of consecutive wins will stay at 8 straight. Because it's the Bundesliga and it's no picnic. But hopefully Borussia Dortmund can start a new winning streak starting Friday versus Hoffenheim. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we have a new segment which is introducing North American-based fan clubs of Borussia Dortmund. We aim to connect and share those stories from fans and their fan clubs, how they got started, where they meet, and if you want to be on and tell your story, just send us a message on Instagram, on Twitter, um, or an email to believeinborussia at gmail.com. That's B-L-E-A-V in Borussia at gmail.com. And for today's episode, I'm very happy to have Eugene from Richmond, Virginia with me. Eugene, hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Maybe you can just start telling us a little bit about yourself and how you found Borussia Dortmund. Uh, hey, Dila. So my name is Eugene. I live in Richmond, Virginia, and I get to sort of share the experience of watching Dortmund with uh, RVA Bayfell Bay, which is our, our local club here in Richmond. How did I find Dortmund? That's a good question. So in 2010, during the World Cup, um, I got a chance to really sort of watch the, the championship just because I was working in a place where there was like a TV and I can, I can sort of see what was going on. And I really just fell in love with the way the Germans played. Uh, they looked very methodical, um, very machine-like. And it was just, I guess, the way that they played that I really, really, really fell in love with. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, in about 2014, that I, I got a different job and I was working with someone who was much more of an avid, you know, world football fan than I was. And, um, you know, I told him that I really wanted to get into German, German football. And so um, he just told me that the only way to, to find a team was to watch them play. Uh, and this was after, you know, 2013 when Dortmund was able to go into the Champions League. So you know, I didn't get to ride that bandwagon and really get to enjoy that. But um, yeah, I just got to, to look at the different teams play. And right off the bat, I knew that I didn't want to be a Byron fan just because I didn't want to be like a Yankees fan, you know. Um, <laughs> and I also didn't want a team that uh, lost all the time and also won all the time because I was a, or I still am a, a sort of Washington sports fan, you know, so that's Washington football team, you know, the, the wizards, uh, in nationals luckily now, but yeah, but there's a lot of heartbreak in being a Washington fan. And so I didn't want uh, a smaller team that, you know, would get beat up on a lot. And, uh, somehow I just found myself into Dortmund, you know, watching a lot of like, YouTube videos of their interviews, of, of the highlights of their players. Um, and uh, I will say, you know, one of the, the things that really drew me 
to become a Washington football team fan was the uh, the idea that they had heart, right? They played with heart. Um, and even if they lost, you know, you still had that sense of like, uh, they gave it their all or a sense of belonging, a sense of culture. And so Dortmund just sort of became it. It became the team that I really wanted to, to root for. And, and I got to watch them play um, whenever I could. Uh, whether that meant going to like Buffalo Wild Wings or any of those restaurants with large TVs and, and a large amount of TVs that just asking to see if they had it. Um, and yeah, fast forward to 2018 when we got to found the club and we've been here ever since. So, <laughs> Well, great. And I'm, you know, I'm truly sorry that you sort of like missed the high years. That's that definitely was a good start uh, for some of the fans, I think around here, the, those club peak years. But, you know, good in you that you're still stuck around. And as you said, it's more about than just the titles on the letterhead. It's how you win them, what kind of community um, you build around the club. Um, and speaking of community building, you just touched on it. So 2018, you started the club. Tell us a little bit about um, that. One of my favorite bars here in Richmond, shout out to Penny Lane Pub on the 321 Franklin Street, Richmond, Virginia, uh, is home to a lot of supporters, fan clubs. Uh, They're mostly a Liverpool fan club, but they also host uh, the Tottenham Spurs, uh, Chelsea, uh, and uh, just getting to sort of see them in that atmosphere, you know, when there was a, a game that they were watching on, it just felt like a great sense of camaraderie, but like, you know, they were all there to sort of cheer on their team. And it was especially exciting whenever, you know, these different fan clubs got to play each other because, you know, then there was like a, a sense of rivalry there that they were present. You know, my girlfriend always jokes that, you know, they can't hear me on the TV whenever I scream at them. <laughs> But, uh, it's always good to sort of have that, you know, discussion or, or just um, those lines of communications with people who also share that same value with you. Uh, and so 2018 happened and, you know, I, I remember it just, There was like a Mario Kart tournament at the bar. I didn't know the owner of the bar at that point, but he and I ended up getting to play against each other. And I heard someone casually say, you know, oh, you know, Terrence is like the owner of the bar. And I, while I was playing him, I looked over at him and I said, hey, uh, you know, how do you feel about having uh, a Dortmund fan club here? And I'm sure that he's seen like a lot of, you know, clubs come and go or a lot of interest in the show, but no follow through. And so he said something to the extent of like, you know, if you can make it, then sure, why not? You know, I looked him right in the eye and I said, we're going to do it. And so there's a, a great sort of map that Vidoy from, is he in Norway? I think so, yes. Nico Vidoy. Yeah. So, yeah, Nico has got um, a great site and it existed a long time, I think, before Dortmund, the relations really sort of like um, made it a little more official. But he had different sites of different clubs everywhere. And I reached out to Nico and asked, you know, what the process was. And he connected me to uh, uh, the uh, Sebastian over in uh, fan relations. And he sent me an application. And, uh, you know, the, the first, like, five people or so were, like, my family and my friends who, you know, some would be interested in supporting me and doing this but had no real interest in football at the time. Uh, and, you know, I coordinated with, the, with Penny Lane. and. We had our first game. It was against uh, Leipzig uh, in 2018. And uh, about 15 people showed up, which was astonishing to me. I mean, the, you know, they all wore their 
your kits, you know, and, you know, they were there to support Dortmund and, and, you know, I, I didn't expect that. I also didn't expect, and I think and you this, didn't know them. I didn't know them. I didn't. Yeah. But the story that I like to tell the best, and I think it, it sort of is like a blessing to how we started. There was a, a gentleman there at that game. His name was Oliver, Oliver Schmidt. And, uh, he, uh, he's from outside of Cologne and he was, uh, doing sort of like a, um, a work program in the United States. It was like his first, he was only doing it for a year. So it was about his first month there. And he was wearing his Dortmund kit. And on the day that we founded our first day there, he, uh, cause he lived, he lived in a city about 40 minutes away. He decided to come to that bar because he knew that there was not going to be any sort of Dortmund clubs in a, in a little city called Richmond, Virginia that supported Dortmund of all places. And, uh, <laughs> he just knew that it was a Liverpool bar. And so, you know, he decided to wear his kit and just go watch Liverpool play. And unbeknownst to him, it was our first day. And it's sort of just the stars collided and we became very good friends. You know, he moved back and now he's in Cologne, but it was just, uh, it was a sort of, it felt like a stamp of approval by the universe. Right. And also uh, there were a lot of little questions that I had, like cultural questions, you know, like, you know, I'm just some, some kid from America who likes a German club, you know, but having him there to really explain the culture, really explain the dynamics, really explain the the nuances of, you know, let alone what German football is, but what Dortmund football is, I think really sort of solidified it and made it feel like it was the right choice. So, uh, but yeah, so now we're about 15 to 20 uh, supporters strong. Sometimes we, we jump up to 25 or so. Um, and we, uh, we watch just about every game at any lane. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we go to our members' homes and watch it there and have maybe like, you know, some food, some snacks, some drinks. And, you know, so uh, if anyone is interested in the Virginia area, we are in Richmond, Virginia at Penny Lane Pub. You basically answered all my follow-up questions already right there. And congratulations. Like, it sounds like you really build a nice community down there. And, you know, I think that's what it's all about. Like, to me personally... And I've said this before, I, I love the game, but what really drew me into football or soccer has always been uh, the community aspect, the social aspect of it. The first time going to a stadium and seeing grown-ups, you know, being going completely bonkers changed my perception. It, it really did. I, and, right. it, and it has right. grabbed me and it has never let me go 30 years, 30 plus years later, actually. Oh, no. How old was I? Anyway. No, I, I I totally understand. And um, yeah, honestly, 15 people for a start. Um, that's great. Actually, maybe you can tell some people that are also trying to get things off the ground. Like, how did you get the word out? I never had Twitter before. Uh, and I started a Twitter account and sort of just followed a lot of my city's uh, local supporting clubs like Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, you know, all the big ones that, that you know, have their own places in Richmond and are already established. I also created a Facebook uh, group page and posted there essentially what I posted on Twitter. Uh, but I would say that Twitter helped a lot at that time just because I remember going to a bar one time and watching um, one of the Champions League when, when Liverpool was there. Uh, and uh, there was a, the, the president of the Manchester United Richmond Club was there. And we got to chat and then I was like, yeah, you know, like I'm a Dortmund fan. He was like, wait, are you the guy who like started the Dortmund club in Richmond? I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I followed you. Like, and that was really big too, because early on, uh, he was kind enough to sort of retweet 
our posts and also be like, hey, like, you know, welcome to Richmond and also like any Dortmund fans in Richmond, like there's a Dortmund club. So it was really nice to be able to meet him and get that support. And I think that that's a, that's a big thing is um, if you're going to start a club in your own city, I, I think that it would be beneficial to reach out to the clubs that already exist in your city just to, because no one would know better how to get it started, right? Like I can tell you, okay, all you need to do is email Dortmund at yada yada at, you know, whatever.com, uh, get an application to fill that out. But no one has more insight into what your city's culture is than the clubs that already exist there. And they can give you tips and pointers and things like that. And, you know, it helps you already go to an established pub or established bar because they can also share your posts um, or they can post, you know, flyers or things like that, which is what we did too early on. I would print a flyer out and I would ask if I could post it on, in my pub's like community wall. Um, and so we got a little bit more traction that way too. Great. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense that, you know, summing up like Twitter is obviously a very useful tool and something I think that's very peculiar to the US the soccer community in general is still growing you know it's still dynamic so people are probably a lot more open to you know doing something together than they are for example I don't know in England or even in Germany you know where the rivalry may be at, at a point where people wouldn't necessarily work together so yeah reach out to those Manchester or Liverpool clubs and you know chances are like you said they're already going to be in the same bar if you're liking soccer and there's a big soccer bar or a big sports bar in your community that's probably where the people are that you want to get in touch with so yep absolutely makes total sense and you know kudos for you to being uh so sociable and you know and it's funny like listening to you you know you play Mario Kart with the boss you hang out um yeah with the Manchester United uh, fan club president uh, during a game and I think, you know, that's maybe one thing that you haven't explicitly mentioned, but you apparently also really like that kind of community and you love the game. And that's why you're there when it happens. And that's obviously, I think, also a great, maybe a, even a prerequisite to, to getting something like that off the ground and being um, successful for a lack of better word. Yeah, that's actually very fair. Uh, now that you mention it, there is a sort of like brand awareness, right? Um, and not being afraid to sort of wear your kit out and about really sort of, you, you become like a walking billboard, right? Especially because you can't look away from the bright yellow and, and black colors that are Dortmund. And, you know, we have a local soccer team, the Richmond Football Club, which is like, you know, four tiers below MLS. Um, you know, their colors are red and white. Uh, and there have been times, you know, after watching a match that a couple of our, uh, supporters that go and, and watch them play and you know we're wearing bright yellow and there are people who recognize the crest people who recognize the team uh and you know ask questions and there are other people who don't who still feel like you know it's acceptable to come and speak which it is um to us and ask us like you know what is that what are you wearing like you know because these are people who are already interested in football and and i guess just getting that awareness out that hey we're here we exist and uh you know if you have any questions so feel free to just approach us and, and just ask I think that's the biggest thing, sir. Absolutely. Go out to your local soccer community. You know, don't just look for maybe people that are already like 10-year Dortmund fans. There might be people that are just getting into it and, you know, might look for a club like Dortmund or a community like you're building. So maybe as the last question then, how can people get in touch with you best if they want to join up and, you know, hang out with the Richmond Dortmund Football Club? You can reach us via Facebook. There have been various people um, around the state who reached out to us. Uh, and uh, so you just have to look up our VA Bay Bay 
uh, on Facebook. And then on Twitter, we're also at RBA Baytel Bay. Uh, and then Gmail, for some reason, when we signed up, someone had already taken the RBA Baytel Bay like, uh, title. So you can feel free to email us at RBA Baytel Bay one at gmail.com and uh, be happy to reach out and, and talk to anyone. And, um, just for a, uh, I guess, just a big plug here. Uh, in 2019, again, to sort of say farewell to uh, our friend Oliver, who's leaving, we decided to take a trip up to uh, D.C., where the Baltimore fan club, the D.C. fan club, and the Virginia fan club met. So it was about 40 of us. And we got to watch uh, us play against Schalke. And so that was big. So if you're not in the Richmond area, feel free to reach out anyway. Uh, maybe we can help you get started another chapter in Virginia. Or at the very least, know that we'll be in Northern Virginia. And who knows, maybe something will come down to Hampton Roads. Great. Eugene, thank you so much. This was fantastic. All the best to you. And yeah, let's hope we have a great season. Thank you, Teal. Likewise. So, last week we talked about the 1963 German Cup Final on August 14th. And how a certain new competition had already cast a large shadow over said Cup Final. Well... In staying with the times, August 24th marks the 58th birthday of the Bundesliga and we take this occasion to give you a quick rundown of the whys and hows and what's of Germany's National League that came to be on August 24th in 1963. In the years prior to its inception, there was a lot of back and forth about the Bundesliga and quite with some irony very similar sentiments that you can hear nowadays in regards to the Superliga. Too much money, the death of local soccer culture, no more derbies. Naturally in the Oberliga system which were regional sub-leagues across Germany the top teams would play these local but much lower and less competitive teams much more often. Only when the best teams at the end of the season qualified by winning their respective Oberliga, they would face a team from across the land, say TSV 1860 Munich from the south or VfB Stuttgart or maybe um, yeah, Borussia Dortmund in the west or Hamburger SV from the north. However, other countries in Europe already had professional leagues. England had been professional since the 19th century and Italy and Spain followed suit in the 1920s. They had much better conditions, more money, and it showed on the pitch as teams from Italy and Spain dominated European competitions in the early years. Also, threatening to poach away the best talent, and despite the FA's best effort to threaten players and brand them as mercenaries and sellouts, and I'm not just talking about 1950s or 60s, Gerd Müller was threatened by the DFB that he would not be nominated to the German roster for the 1974 World Cup in Germany if he'd take up an offer from Barcelona. Barcelona offered Bayern 3 million and Gerd Müller 3 million, a lot of money even today, and that was all thwarted by the small-minded FA in Germany. So if that still worked in 1973, Imagine the pressure in 1963 or 53. But nevertheless, players moved on to greener pastures, went to Italy, so to avoid the game drain and have a better player pool, Zepp Herberger, 
German national hero by virtue of coaching Germany to a miracle World Cup win in 1954, was one of the few prominent supporters of a new national pro league. So was Franz Kremer, who was a flush businessman and president of FC Cologne, who, with his money, formed the club from the Rhine into one of the poshest and most professional clubs in all of Europe. So you had the Novo Rich and then national team manager, which may not seem as the most natural of allies, but they were allies nevertheless. The performance of the national team to this day has an immense impact on mainstream German opinion. And when Germany won the World Cup in 1954, all was well with the world. And when in 1958 in the World Cup in Sweden, Germany lost in the semi-final in a thriller with some dubious refereeing decision, well, they still seem competitive. But when the team crashed out in the 1962 World Cup in Chile with a dire 1-0 loss to Yugoslavia, Herberger and the nation were alarmed. But Germany doesn't possess a culture that strives for the new and untried. And making bold decisions is not everybody's comfort zone, as is still evident today by the country's symbolic management of the pandemic response. So instead, one seeks out a compromise and then fiddles in the background to find a perfect solution that may or may not exist. And that compromise, pre-Bundesliga, was the so-called Vertragsspieler, a contractual player. You see, since clubs couldn't or didn't want to pay any players properly, they still needed to attach them somehow and tie them to the club. Via this contract, the players were entitled to compensation, not a wage, compensation of maximum 320 marks a month, while they also had to show proof of a proper profession. And the clubs used that power to their advantage. When they wanted to get a player, they found ways around it. For example, by getting players well-paid jobs at friendly businesses, where they earned well but never had to show up for work. Borussia Dortmund legend Adi Preisler was lured to Preußen Münster as they offered him a license to a gas station. So when he and a few other prominent forwards from the region joined the club to form the 100,000 Mark Storm, the 100 Grand Attack, it was all the rage in the tabloids. On the other hand, clubs struck down any player demands by pointing to the amateur rules. So the same Adi Preisler went back at Dortmund was on the begging end when the club didn't even want to pay for a bit of candy on the night of the 1956 German national final which would become Borussia Dortmund's first ever German title. And in the following year, when he and other senior players threatened to not suit up for the 57 final if the club wouldn't share at least a little bit of the extra revenues that was generated with the players. In regards to the bag of candies at the movies, the club official simply said they wouldn't know where the accountant would be able to book this as an expense for the club. Very different times indeed. But back to 1962. Germany had crashed out of the World Cup and Herberger had voiced his support again for a national league to strengthen the German national team. The German FA secretary Hermann Neuberger then put founding a national league back on the agenda 
So on the 28th of July in 1962, the gentlemen of the German FA congregated again to debate the fate of German soccer. And after hours of deliberation, the final vote came to pass in favor of forming the new Bundesliga. And the birthplace of the modern National League was none other than the Golden Hall of the Westfalenhalle straight across from the Westfalen Stadium in Dortmund. Probably one of many reasons why the new FA German Museum is placed in Dortmund as well. Since the idea of the National League was to bundle the strong teams and raise competition, naturally many teams in the Oberliga were to miss out on the 16 top spots. Yes, 16 spots, not 18, in this new elite league. So FOMO, fear of missing out, spread across the land. DFA had to come up with a ranking system to identify those best 16 teams. It was a mix of sporting value, location, for example there was only one team allowed per city, and economical factors. Since some teams had much better sporting credentials, while others had a more strategic location or better line pockets, the system was fiercely debated. By the 1st of December in 1962, of the 74 Oberliga teams, 46 had applied for the new Bundesliga and 15 got turned down immediately, including y'all's favorite Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayer Leverkusen. Based on 12-year performance, current standing, infrastructure and economical situation, the German FA announced 16 teams over the next year. Borussia Dortmund was, at this point, one of the biggest clubs in the land. It had dominated the Oberliga West over its 13 years, won three German championships, was the defending champion and an absolute no-brainer as a choice for the new league. So it was Borussia Dortmund plus 15. And the final 16 teams were from the Oberliga North, Hamburger SV, Werder Bremen and Eintracht Braunschweig, from the Oberliga West, Borussia Dortmund, FC Köln, Meidricher SV, which is nowadays Duisburg, playing in the 3rd Division, Preußen Münster, playing I think in the 4th Division, and they just I think won the appeal for the second round of the Cup, kicking out Wolfsburg, and last but not least, FC Schalke 04, 2nd Division. From the Oberliga Southwest, we have FC Kaiserslautern and Erste FC Saarbrücken. From the Oberliga South, Eintracht Frankfurt, Karlsruhe SC, Erste FC Nuremberg, TSV 1816 Munich, VfB Stuttgart, and one team from Berlin, Hertha BSC. Naturally, some of these choices drew a lot of ire. Saarbrücken, for example, were apparently selected for its stadium because they did not qualify on the sporting grounds the FA had laid out. And the speculations arose that they'd only gotten in because of the cabals of FA secretary Hermann Neuberger, who was from Saarbrücken and apparently wanted his hometown club in the new league. And in the South, 1816 Munich beat out Bayern Munich on the only one club per city rule and Kickers Offenbach, despite the latter club having the better 12-year rating. In the north, Hannover 96 missed out despite having a larger stadium, a bigger city and a better 12-year rating. However, Eintracht Braunschweig 
followed Werder Bremen and Hamburger SV as the third place in the current Oberliga season. There were also news on the player level as DFA came up with a new rule. Instead of the Vertragsspieler, the contract player, now there was a Lizenzspieler, a licensed player. He would be able to earn 1,200 marks tops, up to 2,000 I think with bonuses. A player could be transferred for the maximum sum of 50,000 marks and earn a signing bonus of maximum 20% of said sum. There was also a loyalty bonus if they wouldn't switch around of maximum 10,000 marks a year. Well, it was more than the contract player, but it still wasn't enough or well aligned enough to the level of money that could be generated with this new league. And where there's money to be made, people are willing to cut corners and it would lead straight into the Bundesliga bribery scandal, which rocked the league. And you can learn about in episode number 12 titled A Real-Life Bundesliga Crime Story. So when the league finally kicked off on August 24th, 5pm local time, German soccer would never be the same. And Borussia Dortmund further etched itself into Bundesliga history by scoring the first Bundesliga goal ever, courtesy of one Timo Konitzka. He netted Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 in the first minute of play. It was so quick that the camera crews weren't even ready. So there is no video to this day of the first Bundesliga goal ever. Best, we keep Timo Konitzka and the goal in our memories then. Thank you again for listening to Believe in Borussia presented by BetOnline. Don't forget to follow us and comment on Instagram and Twitter for your chance to win the BVB autograph set. Only one more week to go. I hope to hear you back next week. And until then, a black and yellow shout out across America. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.